This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. The jury found that Merck acted responsibly with Vioxx from studying the drug to marketing the drug to its actions in ultimately voluntarily withdrawing the drug. We recognize, however, that this litigation is not over, that there are more cases to come. As we said from the very beginning, we intend to defend these cases one by one on the unique facts that are raised in each of these cases. Uh, Our strategy, we believe, is still the right one. Uh, first of all, and because the company did the right thing, in our view, every step of the way as it relates to Vioxx, we were guided by sound science in the best interest of patients, and also because we have the resources and resolve to continue addressing these cases one by one over whatever period of years it may take. Well, that's Merck's Pharmaceuticals Senior Vice President General Counsel Kenneth Frazier after Merck's win in the New Jersey Vioxx trial. The jury in that case took less than eight hours to find Merck that was in no way responsible for the non-fatal heart attack of 60-year-old Mike Humison. The jury found no consumer fraud by Merck and agreed with Merck scientists that it did not believe at the time of, Merck's, of uh, Humison's heart attack that Vioxx increased his cardiovascular risks and had no obligation to warn physicians. The translation, it's a big win for Merck and pause for concern for future Vioxx cases nationwide. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen on our show, Coast to Coast, for November 10th, 2005. I'm Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. And I write a blog called Law Sites, uh, which you can find at LegalLine.com. And mine is May It Please the Court, also on the .com extension. And today we're going to talk about uh, Vioxx and the next step especially with some 6,500 Vioxx cases pending across the country. Uh, we can't forget that uh, although Merck uh, uh, came out ahead in New Jersey, it had a serious blow in the first trial in Texas with the jury award of $253 million in a case in which a man died after taking Vioxx. Uh, next month will be the first uh, federal court trial uh, in this matter, and uh, uh, in the meantime, uh, many plaintiffs' attorneys are beginning to uh, take a second look at the strength of some of their cases. Well, and Bob, to help us sort through all of this, we have three very special guests today. First, let me introduce nationally known attorney Tom Girardi, the founding partner of Girardi Keys, an L.A. firm recognized for taking on its share of Goliaths. You probably know uh, his case, Pacific Gas. They agreed to pay $333 million to residents of the desert community of Hinkley, California, the residents there blamed incidents of cancer and other diseases on contaminated water leaking from a gas pumping station. That case was really the storyline for the movie Aaron Brockovich. There are many other significant cases that Tom has, but let's welcome him. And, Tom, thanks for giving us time today. Oh, hey, well, thank you very much. That was a nice thing to say. You know, um, would it strike your listeners as totally absurd for the general counsel who just said, we acted responsibly in testing the drug, and we acted responsibly in withdrawing it from the market. I think you have to uh, uh, you have to go one way or the other on this. 
if you tested the drug properly and marketed it properly, then what are you doing withdrawing it from the market? So, I mean, that's, that's the whole story here with Merck. Uh, they're going to continue to do their study as she goes after they've harmed all these people. You know, in Enron, uh, just that's to finish, and then I, I won't monopolize you further, but in Enron, all they did was steal all the people's money. You know, that was pretty good. But you can imagine how despicable it would be if a drug company knew a drug could raise the incidence of heart attacks and then market it anyway. Tom, hold that thought. I just wanted to bring in our other guests on the program, and then we'll get back to that. But I want to uh, also introduce Attorney Don Barrios from the firm of Barrios, Kingsdorf, and Castix. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Castix. Castix in Louisiana. The firm is one of the nation's leading firms in litigation against Merck, manufacturer of Vioxx, representing approximately 2,000 personal injury clients from more than 30 states. Attorney Barrios was named to be the state to head the uh, state liaison committee for the multi-district litigation by Judge Eldon Fallon. Uh, thanks for joining us today, uh, and uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for inviting me. I, I must mention that Tom is a member of my committee, and he was appointed by Judge Fallon as well. And our final guest is New Jersey Law Journal reporter Lisa Brennan, who covered the latest Vioxx trial and verdict. Lisa, thanks for joining us. And uh, after Tom's introduced the topic, tell us what you think of what you saw from the trial and the verdict. I know you spoke to some of the jurors. Yeah. Um, in fact, I um, spoke to the prosecutor on the jury today. And um, basically, I think the jury's mind was made up quite early in the case, Uh in spite of the fact that it lasted almost eight weeks. And um, they really thought that Merck came in with um, a good case. They weren't persuaded by the evidence that Merck was worried about the drug before it even went to market and went and marketed it anyway. They just pretty much bought the Merck story at this trial and I also was told that they weren't too sympathetic to the plaintiff. So um, it was kind of a slam-dunk win. Well, it, it seems some media reports said the jury was not convinced that Vioxx caused the plaintiff's heart attack. Uh, one juror, Vicki Heinz, said she believed stress and, and Mr. Humiston's other health problems were responsible for his heart attack. Uh, there's a quote from her which she said, I thought he had way too many health issues and his medical records were riddled with many medicines. Uh, Tom Girardi, I wonder if I could just come back to you for a second and ask, uh, was, was this a weak case in New Jersey? What's your assessment of what happened there? Well, um, I think that uh, some of the scientific data has uh, not yet been proven on some cases that have not too much exposure to the drug. So I think the the drugs are going to follow the science. We know this for a fact that Merck's own documents show a massive change if someone has been on Biox for a few months. That change is harder to pick up if there's been a shorter application for it. You know, I, most of the experts that we've talked to believe that there certainly is causal connection, but there is a difference, certainly, uh, in trying a case where someone was on Biox for six months which is irrefutable uh, concerning the change of heart attack and stroke versus if the person was just on it for a day or two. Tom, were you surprised by the verdict? You know, not necessarily. Uh, you know, jurors, I think, uh, 
jurors do the right thing most of the time. Uh, there were some other issues in this case that could have brought on the heart attack. A plaintiff has the burden of proof. So as far as I was concerned, I don't think it affects certainly the plaintiff's bar at all. I mean, it, generally speaking, if lawyers have done a good job in making sure that they take cases of where there's been substantial exposure to the drug, uh, where there isn't any overwhelming reason why the heart attack should have taken place, uh, those cases are going to be decided by jurors, uh, and they're going to come in with huge verdicts against Merck. And there'll be some cases where they're more questionable, and jurors do a good job, and they looked here at the overall picture. They saw some other reasons of stress and so forth that they of the fellow was going through, and then they they made their call in that regard. So I don't think that the verdict in Texas of $200 million against Merck was dispositive, and certainly a case where the man, I believe, if I, I know the person who carried the, who covered it would know better than me, but uh I believe that there was sporadic use of the drug for a relatively short period of time. So that puts an asterisk on the wind for Merck. All the bad evidence is still there. And as soon as people try these cases in terms of substantial use of the drug with uh, substantial damage, uh, Merck's going to have to pay. Don Barrios, I wonder if I could ask you, uh, given uh, these uh, two trials and two very different outcomes, I, what happens uh, looking forward to future trials? What, how, are, how are plaintiffs uh, incorporating the lessons of these cases into their strategy for future tra- trials? Well, one thing I think we learned from um, Chris Seeger's case in New Jersey, and that is that it was too long. All plaintiffs want to go into the courtroom and, of course, tell their story and use the experts they need to use, but they don't want to drag it out any more than a week or two. And what happens is when you're in the courtroom, you may put a a witness on the stand for an hour, and the defendants will cross-examine them for eight hours. So the plaintiff's counsel loses uh, control of the case and can't really rein it in into the time slot that is most beneficial to the plaintiff. So we've learned that lesson, and that's something that we're up against in every trial. But going forward, I think that we have um, a wonderful situation with Judge Fallon, who's headed heading the MDL, all the federal cases in the country. He set a trial that's going to begin on Tuesday, November 29th, um, although Judge Fallon sits in New Orleans because of Hurricane Katrina. He's sitting um, part-time temporarily in Houston. The trial will begin on the 29th. Next week are the Darbert hearings next Monday and Tuesday. Motions in limine have already been filed. And um, Judge Fallon gave us a peek of what is to come in the, in the federal and, I dare say, the state litigation from the bench at the last status conference. He explained that although an MDL is officially there to marshal the cases together for discovery process, that it oftentimes morphs into a different animal. And what he has been so successful at doing, he did in Propulsive. Um, I see him doing it in Vioxx. I, I saw him last week doing it in a smaller case uh, involving Louisiana residents. And that is, is turning and using the MDL process to help with ultimate global resolution. 
he stated from the bench that after the the Irvin trial, which will be tried on the, on November 29th, he's going to follow it up with three more trials: one in January, one in February, and one in March. And at the end of those four federal trials, he will have a real good idea on the value of this case. And from that, he's going to get the parties together to sit down and talk. Now, Judge Fallon is not going to um, to jam a settlement down anyone's throats, but he's most persuasive, and he feels with the, the four federal trials, and by that time we'll also have a couple that have... Um, been undertaken in Texas and then one in Florida uh, in May of 2006, that will give us a glimpse of what really is out there. Judge Fallon hopes to reach out to the state court judges who have these cases and try to craft a global resolution so the Vioxx victims aren't waiting um, 10 years down the road for uh, compensation for their injuries from Merck. So he'll use the lessons from these four trials to determine... uh uh, get some guidance in trying to see if there's a, a way to resolve the more global uh, issues here. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and as I said, he did it in Propulsive. He wrapped up the um, uh, state settlement recently in Propulsive, and he is single-minded in trying to use the MDL as a vehicle for resolution and movement of cases. Well, Tom, how do you think that plays against Merck's strategy of trying the cases one by one? Uh, of course, that would be total insanity, wouldn't it? Um, we're going to try them one by one. They hurt the people all you know, together, and so it seems to me that maybe they ought to try and do something about it together. And then you can imagine what a, a foolhardy sort of corporate strategy that would be to let a whole bunch of cases go to trial with large verdicts and that will happen. You, you see, in most pharmaceutical cases, there's always a difficulty because the person who was taking the drug was already sick. You know, and there were some cases in, uh, involving Reslin that, that was for diabetic patients, and the problem was that those people who were taking the drug were already sick. This Vioxx stuff was for guys who uh, and women who had a sore knee after playing tennis. I mean, it, these are not sick people. And then to end up with some terrible result from a drug like this, which by their own admissions has been withdrawn because it causes heart attack and stroke, is a bad set of cards to deal with. So I'm sure that Merck will win a couple more cases as time goes on. I'm sure Merck is going to lose... Uh, some massive verdicts as time goes on. So what happens uh, to, a, to a company who's trying to do the right thing? It would be a foolhardy and stupid corporate move, let alone the lack of humanity to the people that they've hurt. But just for their own corporate setup, it would be terrible. Because if the plaintiffs go out there and get a few more large verdicts, those larger verdicts keep setting the price of poker so that other people who've been similarly harmed, all of a sudden they think that they would like to have the same sort of result that, that took place in Texas or that's going to take place in California or could very well take place in Houston. So that to permit the plaintiff's lawyers on a drug that was withdrawn, that was being used for someone who did not have a serious medical problem, that caused in some cases massive problems, you know, some of these people are bedridden because of their heart attacks. Some people can't get out of bed because of their stroke. 
And these were people that were in their 40s and 50s, in good health, not overweight, no history of smoking, etc. Well, those cases are going to go down for a, a fortune against Merck if they want to try cases one at a time. Lisa Brennan, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me just ask you, I want to, first of all, thank you for uh, returning to our show for a second time. You're welcome. And uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Mark is headquartered in New Jersey, and uh, I, w I wondered if you thought there was any kind of a, a hometown advantage that they had uh, there. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, Chris Seeger, um, who was the lead lawyer for the plaintiff, um, has said after the verdict, that he knew as soon as he saw the jury that he had about a 5% chance of winning this case. The jury was comprised of mostly uh, middle-income professional white people, and there was one uh, minority. Uh, and he was educated. He was a, he's an engineer from the Dominican Republic who works as a busboy in Atlantic City, but he, and he is the only uh, juror who found for Merck on the failure, or who found for the plaintiff on the failure to warn issue. Um, the jury was very skewed, and, um, and that, asking Seeger afterwards about that issue, um, why did he settle for this jury, he said that he had two strikes left and he didn't use them because the people who were left who could sit for a trial that would be this long were people who were even worse than the jurors he had, more <laughs> defense-oriented. Um, I think in answer to your question, yes, there was a hometown advantage. And the lead defense lawyer played it up a lot. Um, you know, she talked about uh, um, all the people who are employed, the 7,200 people in New Jersey who are employed by Merck, and what would happen to their children if the jury found against Merck. Um, you know, um, it, was defi it definitely played to their advantage. And the judge, Judge Higby, is quite aware of this. And she's got about 3,400 cases in front of her and had a status conference this past Monday with, all, with about 70 lawyers who have Vioxx cases from all over the country. And basically what she told them is she wants anyone who has a case with a New Jersey plaintiff who's taken Vioxx for 18 months or longer to submit their, the information about the case to her, and she's going to select, by next Thursday, she's going to select 11 cases that she wants to see move forward in the next year, the first one going to trial in January. And so I had a conversation with Chris Seeger last night, and he has a plaintiff who is a New Jersey cop who took it for 19 months. And he's very optimistic about you know, what will happen in that case. Well, let's look at the juries that you're going to find in Houston, Texas, and in California. And I'll throw this question up to Tom and to Don. Uh, what do you think the likelihood of finding uh, the bank, as it's known here in um, Los Angeles, Central Civil West, Tom, for a California jury, what's the likelihood of that? And, and Don, what do you think we're going to find in Houston? Well, you know, the, our cases have all been assigned to uh, a terrific judge here, Judge Cheney. Uh, who has a great reputation for fairness, uh, defense lawyers, plaintiff's lawyers, everybody else uh, joins in. So we're in front of a, a terrific judge, and uh, the cases are, in fact, venued in Los Angeles, uh, down at the Commonwealth Courthouse, which uh, I think unfairly gets the reputation of, quote, the bank. Uh, the truth of the matter is that 
the cases that are assigned to that particular courthouse are the major cases, so that it is not unusual to have major verdicts come in on major cases. Uh, if those same cases were distributed all throughout Southern California, none of the courts would be called the bank, uh, but they are in fact concentrated uh, in Los Angeles, and all of the major cases are transferred really to that one courthouse. So. Uh, we think that the the jurors, uh, especially when they're not uh, told that uh, the employer for half the city is going to be wiped out, I don't know how you can even argue that honestly anyway, but uh, I think the jurors are going to be very fair to the people. Don, well, what do you think about Houston? The situation in Houston is going to be colored by the Enron case. Um, as everyone knows, Enron originated in Houston, and the repercussions from that wrongdoing just widespread in that Houston area. So I think that it'll bode well for the plaintiff, although traditionally it is not known for uh, as being a plaintiff-friendly form. I think post-Enron, the scales of justice will be tipped a little, so it'll be an even draw for both sides to come in. And, and as a, a footnote, the real reason Judge Fallon could not have the M- first MDL trial in New Orleans is because of the evacuation, and, and we have no jurors there to pull from. So that's why it went over to Houston. Right. And with that footnote, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to wrap up our discussion and get final thoughts from our guests. We'll be right back. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email.
Welcome back to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And I'm Bob Ambrosi. Thanks for joining us. We're back with our guests, Tom Girardi, attorney with Girardi and Keese, Don Barrios of the firm Barrios, Kingsdorf, and Castille, and Lisa Brennan, a reporter for the New Jersey Law Journal, and we're discussing the future of Vioxx litigation nationwide. Uh, we'd like to get final thoughts from the guests before we wrap this up. And uh, uh, Tom Girardi, I wonder if we could just start from you and ask if you have any final thoughts on, on, on the future of this litigation right now. Uh, sure. I wish I were the uh, president of Merck. And it would be such a great opportunity as the president of a major uh, corporation to do things a little differently than the Enrons of the world. I would be the president of Merck. I would say this. You know, we did the wrong thing. We didn't test this drug properly, obviously. That's why we had to withdraw it. In its wake, we know we've harmed some people. I want our lawyers to go get the medical records of all these people, those people who have been on Vioxx for a considerable period of time, those that don't have complicating factors of heart attack. We want to immediately sit down with Judge Fallon and make sure we do the right thing. Wouldn't that be wonderful if one company in America behaved that way? But they all seem to behave, first of all, they, they made their $2.6 billion a year on this, they spent more in advertising than Anheuser-Busch for beer on the drug. They harmed a whole bunch of people, and then they come up with, well, we're going to try every single case. It'd be so refreshing if one company in America who made a mistake would then say, you know what, we're going to be different. We're going to do the right thing. Tom, that almost sounds like a closing argument. <laughs> Not done. Let me write that. Can you play that back, maybe? <laughs> Uh, we're going to toss it over to Dawn now and ask what uh, her thoughts are. Well, I am more excited than ever about the future of the Vioxx litigation. I know that Chris Seeger, Dave Buchanan, and his whole group did the best job they could possibly do. And as we noted earlier, every case rests on the individual plaintiff. And as Tom said, Merck harms so many thousands of people along the way that and this fact has been recognized by the FDA, by many, many, many substantial medical journals. And all we want is our day in court. And we're blessed to have someone as innovative as Judge Fallon to help us get the resolution that these clients so dearly deserve. Lisa, how about you? Any, any uh, final thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the scenarios just outlined are... Um, pretty much have pieces of what's going to happen here in New Jersey. I think ultimately these cases will settle. I think um, Judge Higby has been very fair in, in this most recent trial. I think Chris Seeger formed a playbook for evidence and the way things will go down for plaintiff lawyers in future cases, and it's very favorable to plaintiffs. And um, I think that ultimately, you know, there will be a few trials. There will be a, a few plaintiff verdicts. There may be another loss, you know, a defense verdict. Um, but after a while, Merck will begin to settle these cases. Well, certainly it's an open playing field. And I think, Bob, we've really privileged to have three outstanding guests with us on this show, Tom Girardi, Don Barrios, and Lisa Brennan. Thanks very much, folks, for participating. Thank you. Thank hey, you. thanks for having us. 
Hear ye, hear ye, now from the legal blogosphere, this week's legal nuggets, insights, and worthy trivia, you be the judge. Uh, so, Craig, anything interesting coming up in the in the blogosphere this week? Well, I think that uh, the situation that's going on with uh, RIM and the use of BlackBerry has gotten an awful lot of attention. Uh, patently Obvious has covered it. SCOTUS has covered it. Uh, apparently, the settlement now with uh, between RIM, the manufacturer of BlackBerry, and NTP, the uh, software company who's alleges that, well, actually now just it's, a, I guess, a fact, no longer an allegation, that uh, RIM infringed on the patents of their software. And they got a $520 million verdict that they tried to settle for $450 million. Uh, settlement fell apart. Judge is not granting any further delays. So it looks like um, blackberries, or as are commonly known, crackberries, may soon become a thing of the past because if it uh, doesn't get resolved, then apparently blackberries will no longer be for sale in the United States, and uh, emails to current blackberries will be shut off. But it's still making its way through the patent office, isn't it? Seven of eight uh, patents have now been determined to be invalid that RIM held. There's one more on the way, and it looks like it's going to be the last one in a long line of dominoes. What would all the lawyers of the world do while they're on airplanes if they didn't have their blackberries? Well, actually, I blogged about it uh, today and suggested the phone that I use, which is uh, Samsung's i730, which has... Uh, uh, email features on it and has a little slide-up uh, thing so you feel like you uh, are actually using a BlackBerry. I, I like it better. It's smaller. Uh, the color's better. It works in Windows, so it's you're more familiar with it. Not that I'm trying to plug Samsung, and I don't own stock in Samsung, but uh, I love the phone. Well, I was just going to mention, I we talked a few weeks ago about bloggers as journalists, and I had an opportunity this week to hear uh, Mike Pence, the uh, congressman from Indiana who filed the federal shield law bill uh, speak about it and uh, uh, interesting because he's a man who's about as far away from me politically as one could get. I think he, he makes you look like a flaming liberal, Craig. <laughs> That's kind of scary. And uh, he, he def- defines himself as, as a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. But uh, when he starts talking about uh, uh, freedom of the press and uh, open government, uh, he's he's suddenly preaching to my congregation, and he's he's uh, quite a good speaker. And he actually expressed some hope that uh, the Shield Law will make it through uh, this session of Congress. He's not making any promises, but he thinks there's a good chance it may make it through. Sounds like he's a uh, liberal in wolf's clothing. <laughs> Well, thanks very much, folks, for listening to our show, Coast to Coast, on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And I'm Bob Ambrogi, and thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.